Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial choices in your life. I'm really excited about a trend that started back in the 1990s, kind of petered out, and now is back stronger than ever. It's called Buy Nothing Groups. Now, this might be something you can incorporate into your life as maybe a New Year's resolution. Later, also want you to resolve to make sure all your records and information are available to your loved ones in case you unexpectedly pass away. I know that Krista, people hate it when I say that. Well, Die, or pass like away. something happens people to you. People say, or something happens to you. Or you become What's dis- the something? <laughs> no, you could become disabled. You could that be is true. ill. You know, I, that just, is true. I'm going to tell you. God the, forbid. The method we use in our household of making sure that I know what's going on with Lane's stuff. She knows what's going on with my stuff. And we each know what's going on with our stuff together. But first, speaking of stuff, there is something that gets more and more organized over time. And it's this idea that instead of buying stuff that maybe your wallet can't quite afford, that you instead buy, instead of buying something, you engage in some kind of barter system. They're called many different things, but the idea is that you have stuff you're not using that other people could benefit from, and they have stuff that you could benefit from. And there are people who really like this from an environmental standpoint, that it keeps stuff out of the landfill, but I'm talking about the other side of it, the different green, your wallet, that if you're able to find something that someone else doesn't need anymore and they're just putting into the universe to give away, you're able to do so. Now, we've talked in the past, uh, FreeCycle. FreeCycle was a Yahoo group that kind of seemed to start it back in the day. Right. And so with FreeCycle, you could put things up for people to take. And when we were moving uh, from a house to a condo earlier this year, there were things that, uh, you know, we were doing all different kinds of things. We There were things we took to our new place. There were things that we sold at various consignment outlets. There were things we gave to charity. And then there were things that we made available to people um, it, for sale, very cheap prices or to take. And it was funny because people were so excited, both who bought things ultra cheap from us and things that we gave away. And I remember one of the favorite moments was a guy came from 150 miles away to get this um, massage chair we had had. It was an old massage chair 
And his wife had always wanted one, and her birthday was the next day. Oh, my gosh. And That's awesome. <laughs> this one was really older, and I forget. I think we sold it for like $100 or whatever and knew it had been quite a bit more. And it was his lucky day and her even luckier day the next day for her birthday. In that case, we sold. But the idea is that paying full retail for things when money's tight in your life, really bad idea. So I know the the big thing, the end thing, is buy nothing. You can go if you want to learn more about it. There's a website for buy nothing. The web address is pretty messy. Uh, BN for buy nothing. PONFB.org. That's too much for people to remember. BNPONFB.org. And we'll put it in the episode notes for today. And so if you really want to just not spend any money, it's kind of a misadventure. Sometimes an adventure, sometimes a miss, but this is something you could do. But also buying things used from people or things they bought they never used. Gosh, that's great. It's a great, great thing to do to reduce your spending. And so if you know that um, there's more days in the month than money for that month in your life, then where you can, not as a game, but as a way of balancing your monthly budget, before you buy something, consumables are different. You don't want to get newspaper towels. Oh. <laughs> but for things that are not consumables, having the opportunity to get things for basically little or nothing is a real opportunity that most people turn their noses up at. I don't get the turning your nose up at something like that. So it is an opportunity to save, and you should take advantage of it. And, uh, you know, you and I have talked about when the house we were in, how much stuff in our house we bought on uh, neighborhood groups and, you know, different websites and stuff, and people would be moving or a couple would be getting divorced or whatever, mm-hmm. and we'd go buy stuff. And how inexpensive it was to buy things was just incredible. I just got such a deal on a Facebook group, actually. what a, on a It's a sconce, like a sconce light, and it was... 80% off of retail, still in the box. It just didn't work, and they missed the return window. I have no idea what a sconce It's is. just a light that, that mounts on the wall. Okay. I have no art side to me at all. <laughs> well, let's go to some questions, Yes, Kristen. Josh in Wisconsin, speaking of selling things, I listed items on Facebook Marketplace this weekend. A potential buyer for a futon reached out asking to purchase it. One thing led to the other, and eventually the person was texting me a Google voice code to confirm I was a real person. Obviously, I didn't give the person any information, and I don't click on any links, but what is the play there? What could that person do with the Google voice code sent to my phone? Josh, I cannot thank you enough for posting this question because I've done TV stories twice on this, and I want you to know what's going on is people use this Google voice ploy where they find you selling on eBay, Craigslist, whatever, your case, Facebook. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to engage in a full bore identity theft where they end up being able to take control of your phone. 
I'm not going to get into all the plumbing of it, but what they're able to do is they're able to intercept your phone calls. They're able to intercept two-factor authentication. If they've dug deep enough and they know where your bank accounts are and stuff like that, they can use intercepting your two-factor authentication to clean out your bank account, brokerage account, 401k account, blah, blah, blah. So this is a, uh, I would say it's a moderately sophisticated criminal who was contacting you. And if some UFO is trying to get you to verify a Google Voice thing, you know you're this close to maybe having your wallet cleaned out big time. Mike in Florida says, Clark, I have a 2013 Tesla Model S. While it has been an awesome car to drive and own, the battery perfectly died two weeks before my eight-year warranty expired. All right, Mike, what numbers do I play <laughs> in the, what are those things called? The Powerball? Powerball. And the other Mega one, Million. There's a Whatever bunch of they're them. called. I mean, man, whoever is lucky enough that it doesn't die two weeks after the warranty but dies two weeks before for anything. Wow. Um, So Mike says, Tesla replaced the battery with a supposedly similar refurbished battery. While it is frustrating that my range prior to the failure was 225 miles and is now 195 miles, what I found most concerning was that when I asked the dealership the trade-in value of the car, they stated it is is $21,000, while also informing me that if the replacement battery fails, a new battery will be $24,000. So my question for you is, have you thought about this dilemma on your own Tesla and electric cars in general? What will we do if our otherwise fine electric vehicles stop working and the battery costs more than the value of the vehicle? Yeah, this is, this is a great unknown. And this was the thing that went on with Nissan where they put in uh, those defective battery packs in the early generations of the Nissan Leaf. And uh, when they failed overwhelmingly, Nissan just said, oh, that's your problem. And it was it was a terrible event because the battery pack was way more expensive than the Leafs were worth. And so the Leafs ended up essentially in junkyards. And I don't I don't know how it will play with your Tesla if the uh, refurb battery they put in, if it gives you eight more years of life or whatever, it won't really matter at that point. But yes, this is the unknown. It's just a little higher stakes than what you tend to have with an older vehicle that the engine or transmission fails, and you're looking at the cost of repair greater than the remaining value of the vehicle. It's the same dilemma, just bigger numbers involved, like one more zero in the case of the Tesla, where you said the battery was 21000 um, to replace the battery is twenty four and the car and they think, said that the that the car is worth twenty one. Oh, twenty one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, twenty four is an amazingly high price for a battery pack. Yeah, uh, I can't even speak to that because the batteries are getting steadily cheaper, and they're down ninety percent in cost. I think in ten years at manufacture. So. I don't think it's going to be as big a problem in the future as it would be with your car that has an older technology, early generation Tesla battery. This is from Sean in Florida. My elderly father just had solar panels installed on a 30-year payment plan. Did what? 
The solar panels have not delivered as promised. I will inherit the house when he passes, but do not want to continue to pay for the panels. Am I obligated to do so? I am not a co-signer on the contract. Sean, you were bringing up something that has come up again and again with solar. I hate the leasing of solar and I hate the financing of solar because you're creating an obligation, a liability, and the solar itself may be floating out there as an asset on the roof, but the financing could kill a sale, it could kill your wallet in this case at the time your uh, dad would pass away, and no way should any company have sold anyone who's elderly a 30-year payment plan In Florida, as I recall, that might come under the elder abuse statute, but there's a separate thing here, and that is they haven't delivered the panels, so it's not even done yet. I want you to go see a real estate lawyer or a construction attorney immediately and find out what rights you have to unwind this? I think they ha- I think he's saying they didn't deliver as they were promised to deliver with the energy because he did say my elderly father had them installed. But it says have not delivered, meaning the amount of energy think, they're producing? I think that's what it is, okay, yeah, unfortunately. So if that's the case, there's a new interpretation. Thank you, Krista. <laughs> Sean, what I would say is go seek out an elder law attorney. It's a subspecialty of the law. Elder law attorney in Florida will know whether or not this comes under the elder abuse statute and that this would be voidable for that reason. If you're not familiar with the term voidable, any lawyer could explain to you that there, let's say a company chooses to enter into a contract with a minor. The minor could hold a company to the contract, but in reverse, the minor could also say, I'm not going to do this, and because they're not an adult, the contract then can be voided in most cases. So under the elder abuse statutes, it works kind of like it would with a minor child, but this would require the services of an elder law attorney because that is totally abusive to sell an elderly parent a solar system with a 30-year finance plan. Either your dad is the most optimistic person in the world who expects to live an extremely long period of time, or the reality is he was taken advantage of. Uh, Coming up next, got a question for you. Do your loved ones, speaking of this kind of thing, do your loved ones know what assets you have, what accounts you have, where they are, where your important documents are, and what procedure have they left behind, if they've left any, for you to be able to access accounts online? The answer to this for 99% of us is, gosh, we should have done that. So you might imagine with what I do for a living that it's been something that's just automatic with me that we have good records of our finances, our accounts, and all the rest. But family dynamics are interesting. And Krista could share with you, my wife Lane and I are very, very different people. You have nothing to say to that. Well, yeah. I mean, I would say that about a lot of couples I know. She's all art. Opposites attract, yeah. She's all art. 
And I have no art side to me at all. You're both brilliant and really great people. You have that in common. Wow. It's true. But what we don't have in common is she's beautiful. She is beautiful. Yeah. Inside and out for sure. Right. So, honey, I hope you hear that. from tonight. <laughs> Anyway, so um, finance is not her natural thing. And so we sit down twice a year, and I'm older, and she's in great health. I'm in okay health, but not great health. And so odds are I'm going first. Not always, but the odds tend that way. So it's really important, particularly with this imbalance of um, interest in finance, that she and I, twice a year when we switch from daylight time to standard time, and when we switch from standard time to daylight time, I know it's not six months apart, it's four and eight, but it's a date we can count on. We know when it's going to happen. And we go over documents, accounts, usernames, and passwords. And we talk about all that. And then every three years, we do a consult with the lawyer who does our wills and trusts on whether anything has changed enough that we need to revise any of our documents. And so it's something that for me is automatic. For her is not, but we both are motivated to make sure that we have protected the other. The truth, most couples are uncomfortable with the thought of somebody dying. Their partner, their spouse, they're uncomfortable about it. And so they don't have these conversations. And none of us are immortal. We're all going someday. And the question is, what destination? But we're all going someday. So I really want you to come up with something in your life. It doesn't have to be twice a year like my wife and I do. Uh, one time a year is great. But it's really key, and it's more difficult now because of all the electronic stuff where you, you have the electronic access to accounts, that your significant other or spouse or if you're not married and you're not in a relationship, that whoever you trust to be the one, if you became incapacitated, who's going to pay your bills for you? Who's going to know how to do that, that you can trust to do those kind of things? You have to think through these situations. And when I say who you can trust, be very, very careful who you trust to give that information to. Um, a lot of times, most fraud that involves families involves affinity fraud. It will be someone we trusted within our family or a close friend. So you need to be really, really in tune with whether or not they are who you can trust. But you want to have a list of what accounts you have. You want to have a list of any insurance you have. If you work for a number of employers over the years, you may have several stray 401k accounts. Um, you may have who knows what going on in your life that I haven't mentioned. Um, Series I savings bonds. We have those, and we have, uh, this was back when they issued paper bonds typically. Now they're electronic. So we have the bonds in a safe, and we have a record 
of all the numbers if anything happened where someone cracked our safe and stole them or anything like that. And so we have taken the steps where we continually revise and update what we got, what it's worth, how do you access them. And for Lane and I, we each have a document that the other can access with usernames and passwords. We also have accounted for frequent flyer plans because we travel a lot. And the airlines, you know, legally the courts have said those miles are the airlines. And if you haven't come up with something in your will that says who gets the, the miles and points, the airline can just run off with them. And we have a list of each person's sign-ins for the airline points so that in the event, uh, well, I'll tell you, this is what most people do. When somebody dies, they go ahead. The other person redeems those points. Many times to fly people in for a memorial service or funeral, they use the deceased points to do it. We've got to know how to sign into the accounts to do that. See, I'm talking a lot about death. What right? about a third? But you should have, do you have a third person who has everything? Because that's what we don't have. I realize, like, I'm going to send you a list of all my accounts because I trust you. But oh, you should, should have, you? do you have someone yes, else? Yes, we do have Okay, good, yeah. Because everybody should, I mean, unfortunately, yeah. you have to think about that too. Because if both of us were to die simultaneously with three kids, what do you do? Right. Um, other things is list of assets, particularly if uh, you love jewelry. You should make sure you have some kind of record of the jewelry you have. And if something is not costume and is particularly valuable, you should state that in the documents. I mean, I can go on all day with this, but the point is I want you to think through your life. It may be a very simple one financially. It may be very complicated, but you want to be prepared. And if you're not sure about the whole trust thing, and you have a lawyer who did your will, depending on your state, you may be able to store uh, lists like this with the lawyer. Depends on the state whether that is an applicable way to do it. And so these are just some heads up kind of things for you. The other thing we do every year is we videotape. Uh, you don't call it that anymore. We take our cell phone and shoot video of our possessions around uh, now we're in a condo and we go around and we you know oh, we got this in june and it was this much money we bought such and such a place and we do that walk and talk so we have a record of our possessions in the case of theft or fire or total loss because of a violent storm or whatever and these things don't take long but i can tell you you're leaving a mess behind for your loved one or loved ones if you don't have these conversations on a regularly scheduled basis. Come up with whatever the time is for you, whatever that is, and it can be the shortest day of the year, your husband's least favorite day of the year. Yes. The Northern Hemisphere, December 21st, I guess it is, mm-hmm. is the shortest day of the year. That would be a great day to throw some activity sure. in when you don't want to be outside. <laughs> and do these kind of things. Absolutely. All right. I pulled this question because it is kind of in the same vein. Rhonda in Alabama 
has some jewelry from her mom that recently passed away. Sorry she, about your mom, Rhonda. She said she has gold, and I'm wondering if I should trade it in on a ring I'm having made, or would it be better to hang on to it? I know trade-in won't be what it's worth. So, Rhonda, um, this, is, this is confusing because if you have gold jewelry that has a high content of gold, it's possible it's worth more for the gold itself than it is as jewelry. If the gold content of the jewelry is lower, then know that jewelry secondhand carries relatively low value. There are now a number of websites that specialize in selling jewelry and um, purses and stuff like that. And you may be able to get more for your mom's jewelry at one of the selling sites than you would trading it in as you were discussing, at a jeweler. So if you go to a place that specializes in buying gold as gold, not as jewelry, they'll give you a value and you'd be able to use that to weigh it against the trade-in you're thinking of doing or selling through one of those third-party sites. This is from Sanjeev in North Carolina. I participate in an employer-sponsored stock option plan. The employer's privately held company has been sold and the current owners are cashing out and paying the employee stockholders like me. I should get about thirty-six dollars to $45,000 as a result of this deal. Congratulations. Congrats. I have an employer-sponsored 401k plan. I'm not sure if I will continue to be employed by the new owners. Most likely, I will remain employed. Can I invest the money I receive in a Roth? Okay, so... You didn't say if your 401k is a Roth 401k or traditional. If the new owners don't want you around and they send you on your way, you would be free to move the money from the then ex-employer's 401k to your own IRA, which would be a traditional. You then at that time, if you wish, could pay the tax ultimately and move it from a traditional IRA to a Roth, there are some hoops you have to jump through, but it's not a terribly complicated process. And this one's from Tom in Massachusetts. My company, starting in 2022, is allowing us to do a Roth 401k along with our standard 401k, and I also have an HSA plan. My 401k match is I contribute 6%, and they match 4%. In what order should I be focusing on saving for my retirement? Oh, this is another one of those things. The train leaves Cleveland, and blah, blah, blah. And another <laughs> triage. You got to triage it. Yeah. Okay. So in your case, the highest priority becomes contributing to the 401k plan, and you will have a choice whether you do traditional or Roth. Because of the employer match, that comes first. And it, let's go with the second thing. Do you do the Roth that they're now offering, the Roth 401k, or do you traditional? If your income is below, let's say, $250,000 a year, uh, family income if you're married, let's say um, two hundred dollars if you're single, you want to do the Roth 401k version because of where tax rates sit right now. Um, after you have done the 6% of your pay, into the 401k, whether you do traditional or Roth, you then want to fully fund the HSA because the HSA 
has enormous tax benefits. The money goes in pre-tax, it grows tax-free, and it's spent tax-free. It's like the advantages of a traditional 401k married to the advantages of a Roth 401k. You get both ends of the deal in the HSA. So let me review quickly. 6% of your pay into the 401k, whatever version you take. Full funding of the HSA. You still have more money to save. You then put that money into the 401k going above the 6% you initially contributed. And I want to thank you so much for joining us for this podcast episode. And I want to thank you in advance. If you are interested in contributing to our 31st year of Clark's Christmas Kids. This is our effort each year for 31 years to collect donations to buy gifts for children in foster care. Kids in foster care are in a rough situation for whatever reason their parents can't take care of them or they've been taken away from their parents by the state. And these kids are uh, hopefully in a warm and loving environment with a foster family or in a foster group home, but they don't get Christmas without you. So if you can help me out with this 31st year of Clark's Christmas Kids, you'll see how it works if you go to ClarksChristmasKids.com. Thanks so much.